Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. In this edition of Hoopsology, Justin and Matt welcome podcast producer at The Athletic and host of the Glue Guys podcast, Mike Smeltz. Mike brings his extensive knowledge about the Brooklyn Nets and discusses how the organization plans to rebound from all its controversies this season. We also talk about if the Nets can make a deep run in the playoffs, if the team is poised to make any moves at the trade deadline, and a lot, lot more. This is a fantastic chat. I think you're going to enjoy this, whether you're a Brooklyn Nets fan or not. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please, please leave your comments um, in the comments section on either iTunes or in YouTube. Uh, We review those and we'll talk about them on the show as well. Again, our email address is hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Mike Smeltz. He is a podcast producer for The Athletic and the host of the Blue Guys podcast covering the Brooklyn Nets. We welcome back Mike Smeltz onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Mike? Oh, it is fantastic. Uh, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Justin, you have a phenomenal background. Matt, I don't want to rain. You also have a great background, but (laughs) I don't know if people are watching the YouTube stream. I'm sure everyone is. Justin's, uh, like, the LED board behind you is just fantastic. So I love I, it. I don't blame you at all. I I find myself getting lost in that, uh, like, free throw make from what it looks like in that top right corner there. It's great. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's very peaceful in terms of kind of setting the mood. So I, I appreciate the, the compliment. It's like the basketball version of the the bird that goes into the water, you know, on someone's oh, desk yes. that goes back and forth. It's that, and it's just very calming. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> much appreciated. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we we want to get your expertise as to what's been going down with the Brooklyn Nets ever since the beginning of this season. I've been listening to your podcast, and I have to say, you've been doing, I think, a fantastic job of just chronicalizing what's been happening with this team. So, just a, kind of like a, a basketball fan to fan level, like how you doing with just with what's been going on with this team and what's been what's been happening. Like, what's what's your sentiment? Are you relieved that the controversy has kind of died down? Are you angry? Like, what's what's been happening just in terms of the aftermath? It seems like we're fans are at least focusing on the Brooklyn Nets on the court. Like, has, what's kind of your kind of overall this sentiment with this team? Yeah, I, I think particularly for Nets fans, they're excited. <laughs> there's no more controversy, though. Uh, there's always something. There's always something lurking. You never know what's going to happen. Um, I, you know, I on our recent show, me and my co-host Brian were talking about. You know, Kyrie had a bad game uh, in our in the Nets' most recent game. I've already forgotten who they've played because I've talked so much about this team. Um, oh, against the Celtics, of course. And Kyrie has this bad game, and it was, I think he shot four for 17 from the field or something like that. And, you know, I, I authentically wanted to have a conversation of, like, can, you know, he had this long suspension. You know, we talk about these guys who are injured, like Joe Harris, who comes back from injury, or Seth Curry, and Ben Simmons is going to come back on Friday, it looks like, against the Hawks. And obviously, we give them this runway to not be great from the very beginning. And with Kyrie, it's like it's hard to figure out, like, how much do we excuse 
bad games on his inconsistent play because he literally didn't play for nine games. It's a very tough team to analyze because there are so many moving parts. It feels like forever ago that Steve Nash was the coach of this team and he he was the coach very recently. So um, it, it, it's, I don't wanna say it's like a fun team to talk about because sometimes it's not that fun, but they have been playing better. There are things to like about the Nets and there's a higher ceiling about the team, which is exciting. Will they ever reach that ceiling? I don't know, but it is fun to dream because you can kind of see, you know, I don't know if you're into uh, space, but you know, there's the new web telescope out there that is showing us incredible images. So the Nets are like looking through the Hubble telescope in a way, like it's a little fuzzy. We need some clarification. It's not the web. It's not like the Celtics. Like we clearly see through the web telescope what the Celtics are. The Nets is just a fuzzy kind of image. And we're just trying to figure out, is that a planet or an alien spaceship? We don't know quite yet, but we're going to figure it out at some point. Well, I guess a, a star in that uh, galaxy would be nice. Kyrie Irving. Um, what yes. is your assessment of him on the court? Because whenever I see him, despite maybe a few bad games here or there, he I think he's one of the most sensational players in the NBA and quite underrated for his abilities. If he's able to play a consistent stretch of basketball, what is kind of the, the ceiling for this team? Because just just seeing him, you know, with Kevin Durant at the height of their powers, I mean, there's no there's no doubt they have unbelievable chemistry. So, um, what have you seen ever since? I know he's you know he had a, I realized he had the bad game, but you know when he is playing consistency consistently, do you see you know this fueling a run for the Nets to the top of the Eastern Conference, possibly. Yeah, it's been interesting because, you know, when he left the team, when he suspended, was right before or right after Nash was fired, right? So he he wasn't with Jacques Vaughn. And I really think Jacques Vaughn's done an incredible job considering he was an assistant coach on the team. And they, they are playing differently. If you look at their analytics, they are actually been playing as one of the better teams in the league, both offensively and defensively. Um, they, they, the effort is, is a much higher. There's been much more of an ethic of, uh, whoever is open takes the shot. You know, if you look at Yuta Watanabe, he's shooting 57% from three and Yuta will talk after the game about how, like, he's literally just hitting open threes. He's not doing anything special. Like Kevin Durant draws in all these defenders and Yuta's there and he hits the threes. He's like, I don't do anything crazy. I'm just doing that. And, and so then Kyrie's put back into the team and it has been there's been moments there was a moment with jock vaughn when it seemed like and nets twitter analyzed this very much like the zupruder film um that Kyrie, uh a play was called by jock vaughn Kyrie called off the play and then jock vaughn called a timeout and you could see Kyrie reacting like why did you do that and they had this long conversation and I will say, I, I Kyrie has been has been trying to fit into what the Nets are doing, which again is much more. Let's get Katie the ball at the beginning of the possession. Then, if that isn't immediately there, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. Maybe it ends up back in Katie's hands at the end of the possession. But let's at least give Royce O'Neal or Nick Claxton in the post or on a pick and roll. Let's let's see what that looks like during the possession. Uh, and, and it is it's it's not easy for Kyrie to fit into that exactly because what had been happening was like here Kyrie here's the ball just do whatever you want and find out if you score a bucket which you usually did 
And I think he's authentically trying to fit in, which is exciting for Nets fans because, I mean, there's no question. There's like this like whole thing of like, are the Nets better without Kyrie? And which is so silly. Like they may win like three regular season games that they wouldn't have without him. They're not winning a championship without Kyrie Irving. So, I mean, this has been an experiment that has been happening during the season when there's already been a coaching change. And um, regardless of the controversy around Kyrie, like the, you, you can't say that he's not trying to, you know, create a winning, to be part of this winning team on some level. So whether he achieves it though, and whether Jacques Vaughn can keep the attention, we don't know because it's still new. It's still a honeymoon period. Um, but I mean, Kevin Durant seems fully bought in on what Jacques Vaughn's doing. Good to hear. Yeah. And I mean, you would think if, if there's any time to, uh, lay low and, and show some deference, I guess this, this would be the time for Kyrie if, if it's ever going to happen, but you never know. I uh, want to go back, dig in a little bit more with Jacques Vaughn. Cause I, I find the transition, very fascinating and this is nothing against steve nash but as as we all well know i mean he just started off right off the bat boom you're a head coach um jacques vaughn on the other hand as as you all know years of experience as an assistant coach um kind of an nba journeyman coach uh was rumored for head coaching jobs for the longest time maybe this isn't the most ideal situation to take over in all this chaos but in some ways, I wonder if he's almost the perfect um, kind of transition off of Steve Nash in, in that he's had all this time um, on several different NBA rosters coaching. Um, do you see that experience being the most beneficial thing that he's bringing to the table? Or is it really, I mean, just the schematic change that you mentioned of, of just getting guys open shots and making everyone happier on the court. I mean, what is kind of, I guess I don't know how to frame this question, but what is sort of the balance that you're seeing in how he's been able to be this effective beyond just KD's buy-in? Yeah. I mean, it, it is a weird thing to try to analyze, right? Because he was an sure. he was an assistant, the lead assistant on Nash's staff. So you would think, okay, well, he should have had a pretty big voice before. So how much credit do I want to give Jacques Vaughn? If do I do I want to give him a ton of credit when like mm. why wasn't it happening under Steve Nash? Because it is different. It is, you know, it's not like I don't want to say it's it's going from Phil Jackson's triangle offense to I don't know, just like a massive Luka Doncic iso ball pick pick and roll heavy system that you know jason kidd's running but it is been, it has been different the effort level defensively has been upped the the sharing of the ball the movement of the ball has increased under jock vaughn and to me like his greatest asset just having listened to him talk in post-game pressers so much is that what nash brought in terms of um sort of like a mentality and an ethic. And this is, again, it's pretty limited, right? Like I'm, we're not in the lock. I'm not in the locker room hearing pregame speeches. I'm not there at practice hearing how maybe Nash is communicating with the team, but Nash seemed to try to put out there, like uh, be a steady captain, you know, like I am not going to raise my voice. Uh, Nets fans famously wanted him to get thrown out of games just to see if he had that kind of emotion in him. He was very much kind of like a, um, you know, a dad coaching a their kid's soccer team, like very, very calm, didn't want anyone, any feathers to be ruffled. And maybe, and, and I don't blame him because of what we kind of know about Kevin Durant, what we know about Kyrie, 
you know, it's it. They're not easy guys to coach necessarily in that way. But Jock has come in here. I mean, he had that moment with Kyrie that I talked about. Uh, he's done it before, where he'll he'll put guys into the rotation, give them chances, and you know they're not doing the things that he wants to see. I'm thinking specifically of Cam Thomas. He'll flip to Edmund Sumner, and Edmund Sumner will get minutes. I mean, Edmund Sumner came into the game for Kyrie at moments to kind of be like this. Edmund Sumner does what we want, and Kyrie wow. doesn't at the moment. Um, and it's not that he's like a, I don't know, he's not like this classic discipl- disciplinarian coach, but he is a guy who walks the walk seemingly right now. And he also is, he he is a great connector. He like connects with people really well. You can tell that too. And I do think the biggest thing is that Kevin Durant seems bought into what's happening. And obviously if KD's bought in, well, everything else kind of falls into place for the most part, right? If there's not, you know, if KD's not feeling so sure, then Kyrie's probably feeling like, oh, I really don't have to listen. And then it just goes on down the line where Kevin Durant is bought in and then Royce O'Neal's bought in, Joe Harris, who is always bought in. Nick Claxton has been a different guy this season. So, um, I, you know, again, this could all fall apart. It's still early. Um, you know, I'm always leery of, of the new honeymoon period for coaches and then expecting that to last. But, you know, if they win games, but they've been winning some games of late, then there's no reason why it would just suddenly stop. Yeah. It is a fascinating case study. I mean, as, as all these rosters are at different points and and the body language and the dynamics, all that, um, you know, I, I think of like, uh, Rick Carlisle towards the end of his tenure in Dallas when he and Rondo were going at it for that brief period of time and, and how that can work against you, even if you're a well-respected tenured coach like Rick Carlisle and the way that Jacques has been able to just kind of, kind of command that respect and, and do maybe what early on folks would have assumed like KD and Kyrie wouldn't respond well to. I mean, maybe, what they need now is is that stability that he's providing or, or just maybe like more concrete system and direction. Um, you know, yeah, again, Kevin, nothing against Nash because I, I don't know what exactly he had in place, much like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and, and KD said that specifically many times in the offseason, you know, going into the offseason when he requested his trade and then coming out of the, the trade request, when he said like, you know, why did you stay? And then why did you want to leave? He always said, well, I didn't feel like there was enough accountability as a franchise, which is like, okay, well, you're the team leader. You could have <laughs> held more accountability yourself, sure. but he, it, I mean, I, you know, I know we don't want to bash Steve Nash, but as yeah. someone who's watched the team, he was not equipped to be a head coach in this moment. And like, if you look at Jason Kidd, I just think overall, it's very tough if you've never really been a coach. Like Jason Kidd it did okay in Brooklyn when he was the first time head coach there, but it failed. He had a weird power play with Billy King, the GM, and the Nets chose Billy King, and Jason Kidd went along his way. He goes to Milwaukee, obviously underperformed as a coach with Giannis. I mean, maybe he gets he should get more credit for how Giannis has turned out, but that team underperformed. They get or they immediately become whatever they are. Now he's in Dallas and obviously they were great last year. They're not as good this year, but I think that's more of a talent issue than like a Jason Kidd issue. It took Jason Kidd, known to be a genius level basketball mind, a long time to figure this out. Steve Nash may be a genius too in terms of basketball, but it's a different thing to be a coach. And Jacques Vaughn, like you said, I mean, he was a head coach for I think three or four years in Orlando. Then he was just an assistant for a long time. And 
um, you know, that that is a drastically different experience level than what Steve Nash had trying to come into a completely chaotic basketball situation. Is that a trend that you might be seeing in other NBA franchises? Can I take an example of what happened in Brooklyn with a first-time coach like Steve Nash being like, hey, we don't want to hire just somebody who just retired, who has no coaching experience. We maybe want somebody who has been through the system a little bit, bred, you know, has had experience under a coaching tree. Like, do you get the sense that you might see that transition? I mean, the, the name that comes to mind now she's in the WNBA is Becky Hammond. I mean, she spent years under the coaching tree of Greg Popovich. She got some interviews, but like no really feelers. She went to the WNBA and she's, you know, a, ch a champion there. But I I'm just wondering, do you get the sense that with other franchises, they might shy away from just, you know, the legendary player that wants to get into coaching? I still think there's going to be – it's an ownership decision, yeah. right? And even though Sean Marks maybe seemed like he hired Steve Nash, you don't do that without Joe Sy, the owner, sure. making that decision. And I, it's like a vanity – ultimately, it's a vanity thing when these guys are hired and you think like, oh, this person's a basketball genius. That's just going to transcend everything. There's always going to be one owner in the league who decides – like when, let's say Chris Paul retires. Someone's going to convince themselves that Chris Paul's ready to go. Like, you know, it's just that's they're going to believe it. Um, and as smart as Chris Paul, maybe it's like it's a totally different job. Right. And and so there will always be people who try and it will be surprising to me if it works out. It's just a totally it's a totally different gig. Just because you're amazing on the court doesn't mean when you're on the sidelines that it's going to be ultimately any different. Like, I think like LeBron could do it right now because he's playing and he's good. But once you're actually retired. I mean, I don't know what the like Magic Johnson tried. Like Bill Russell yeah. is the only guy yeah. who's done it, and he played. He was playing. That's why it worked. And also, it was you know what was it the fifties or sixties? It was a different NBA. It wasn't what it is now. Yeah, great point with Magic Johnson. I mean, if if that man couldn't do it, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, in in the little amount of time that he had there, granted, but man, I mean, because he's someone who can handle the press well, handle all that other stuff seemingly, and um, to show why teams should be really skeptical, if if nothing else, or, or just really um, uh, just intensive, uh, give that care for those interviews always. Um, so in looking at the Nets roster as constructed right now, um, you know, it's, it seems to me the perception with this team is like, okay, chaos, 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 we, we all know. Now the pieces are coming back together. We got to get Ben Simmons healthy again um, and, and see them roll the ball out as a trio more together. Um, do you see the Nets making little minor moves at the trade deadline? Or is this more, I kind of get the perception, like this is locked in. We got to see how this plays out now. Um, what's kind of your perception as we inch closer to the trade deadline? So at one point it looked like that, you know, there's there's rumors out there. Ian Begley of SNY had said the Nets checked in on John Collins. And even by mm. checking, I mean, like checking in could be just like, you know, an assistant GM texting another assistant GM and saying, hey, what, do, what are you guys looking for for John Collins? Like it could literally, I mean, why you do that? That's your part of your job to do that. Um, but if you do actually want to follow through on something like that, you basically would have to trade Joe Harris, right? So mm. like Joe Harris is the name that's that is both completely beloved within the Nets organization. Jacques Vaughn came out, I think it was about a week ago, 
Joe had been had a bunch of games where he was shooting horribly and reporters asked him about it. And Jock came out and said, you know, Joe is such a special person that we need him here. We need him to be good and we know he'll be good because he's too good of a person for us not to have him, which is a pretty big stamp of approval, right? But if you look at this roster, you know, KD, you know, the funny thing I'm about to say is like, you're not going to trade him, but like all these guys can request trades and then you never know. (laughs) Sure. But, you know, you don't think you trade KD. Kyrie is pretty untradeable as good as he may be. It's just, it's tough to imagine another team like really excited to do that besides maybe the Lakers, but the Lakers are really rounding into form. Ben Simmons, again, is like another guy where there may be teams who want him, but like, do the why would the Nets go down that road? What would they get for it? So like, there's if you just go yeah. down the list, Joe is at $18 million a year. He's an expiring contract. He is a valuable player for some teams. You could definitely see some team, to, you could do a trade where if a team has a surplus at one position and the Nets feel like, okay, if we trade Joe, we still have, Seth Curry and Royce O'Neal and Patty Mills and Ben Simmons is, I guess, a, like he's also he's a point guard, but he's a wing, but he's a center. Right. Um, <laughs> so you you have a bit of um of a surplus too at, at wing shooters. Not that Ben is that, but Joe's the best one in terms of pure shooting plus a little bit of size. Where like Seth Curry's a little smaller. Patty Mills is not even playing that much at this point but they have options. So if they felt like they needed to make a move, that would be the move uh, is to trade Joe for something. Now everyone in Netsland is like, trade him for Miles Turner because they have the same contract and Mm. everyone wants another center on this roster. Um, And he would obviously, Miles Turner as a three-point threat as a center would like be perfect with Ben Simmons because you can't play Ben without, without all shooters on the floor. But... You know, I think I go back to what you originally said, Matt, which is like the it, it's hard to conceive of a trade because this team is so it's constantly evolving and figuring itself out that it's not like it's not like you have answers to questions yet. You still need to even like come up with the questions to then get the right. answers. Hard to know and, your needs when you haven't seen the full potential. Yeah, it's so, you know, I think I think the. I think the Nets will ultimately pretty much stay pat unless if it's like in one, unless if things blows up or two, it becomes very clear that like they, what they could get for Joe Harris would be very significant in terms of helping them right now and filling, whether it is it like a miles Turner hole or something else, like something like very like a real point guard. Um, Cause they don't even really have a real point guard at this moment. So you brought up Ben Simmons, and I feel like ever since Matt and I relaunched this podcast, we've been talking about this guy to death. But are we at a point finally where he can just kind of live organically in the league? It kind of he is what he is, and he doesn't have to be the point of just you know hatred on Twitter and just the vitriol <laughs> on inside the NBA. Can we just, can we just appreciate this? Let the guy live and just he is what he is. And he's not going to be the next LeBron, like all this other just comparisons that in hindsight are ridiculous can we just let the guy just organically live in this league and just <laughs> develop and no, just you know absolutely not <laughs> he's, 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 he, as much as we may want it he's gonna be the source of vitriol um and and it's probably like the best thing would have been for him to get traded to okc or somewhere where you know we Fair just enough. don't pay attention yeah. to it and then we would there would have been a twitter thread from someone very smart saying 
you know, like, oh, here's like the five moments that Ben Simmons has like really stepped up his game in the past three months. And then we'd be like, oh, Ben Simmons is back and we could talk about that. I mean, he'd been playing very well for him um, in terms of like post the Sixers, um, the, the few games prior before his other injury, this injury that just recently popped up. He was figuring out he's being aggressive. He was as opposed to there were moments, you know, classically, we all remember the Trey Young, you know, against the Hawks in the playoffs when Ben passed up the dunk and then gave it to Tobias Harris. Um, there were moments that we saw Ben just simply attack the hoop, uh, go to the bucket, you know, when he hadn't been doing that that much before. Um, and so, I, you know, you hope that that's what he is because, like, if he's just – I mean, I, you know, I don't even want to say this just, but if he's 14, seven and seven, you know, that, that becomes like, okay, that you, then you get, can that be a reliable 14, seven and seven? Typically the good thing about him is that then he fills this massive hole for the nets. Everything the nets do offensively is so damn hard. It, it, it is it KD with two men on him, turnaround jumper, or it's Kyrie. Kyrie doesn't make anything easy on himself. He, he gets to the bucket in magnificent ways, but it is incredibly a difficult process for him. The, ben represents transition buckets. He represents like points around the rim because that's all he does to shoot. If you look at his shot chart, I think he's taken like five shots outside of a foot radius of the rim. Um, and so like Ben represents such a, a well of easy buckets. Of course, in his passing, he's an insane insanely gifted like perfect passer but um you know he needs to be healthy and he needs to play and he needs to maintain that aggressiveness um it would be very exciting if we did this podcast in march and we we're talking about how like ben took a three a game like that would be incredible like because he just he really yeah he he really doesn't shoot from outside it's it's pretty incredible but he still has a big impact on the game um so i'm excited to see him against the hawk hawk specifically because this the nets the, the Nets need him to be at least, you know, the third or fourth best player on the, like, they just need him to be a, a very good role player. And that's all they need right now. Yeah. And that's the sense that I get with the Nets overall. I mean, we, we had a long period of time, of course, well, not that long, but with James Harden, KD and Kyrie, and it was just like, we just want to see you guys together. We, that, that's to me as, as a basketball fan in general is like, I don't want to see you guys fail with, with you guys, not on the court. Like I, I want to see you guys at your full potential, you know, win or lose, whatever. I just want to see it play out. And that's still how I feel about this team. Um, all, all these years, not that many years, but years now after Kyrie and KD got on this roster is, is that kind of the general sense you think, Nets fans in general from what you're seeing are feeling as well, or are there different, maybe even more bitter sentiments around it um, in terms of the fanhood? Yeah. I mean, I think the excitement's turning in a good way for around this team because they, they went on a four game win streak. They lost to Boston. Everyone can understand losing to Boston. Sure. Um, ben was coming back, was looking good. He gets hurt, but he's going to come back. And, and Katie is like just phenomenal, uh, completely efficient, incredible that he can be at this level still after his Achilles injury. Um, but there's definitely still a segment of the fan base who's like, this team's never going to win anything um, because Kyrie's unreliable and Ben is also unreliable. 
and so there's definitely people out there who are saying, you know, you might as well just blow it up because you could get, maybe you can get the gray package for KD now that you didn't get in the summer. And, you know, you use Kyrie as an expiring contract to go get whoever. And then Ben Simmons, do you trade him? Who knows? But like, there's people who want that. I think that's a small minority at this point because most people want to see it play out and see if this team can be dangerous come playoff time. If, you know, we, it feels, it feels, it's so just unbelievable to even bank on them being there. Cause again, who knows, you know, things could blow yeah. up completely tragically. Yeah. I, I kind of see that sentiment too of, of just like, I know this sounds like, I don't know, old school or harsh or whatever, but like at a certain level, at a certain point in time, like Katie, you're one of the greatest small forwards to ever do it. Like, let's go, <laughs> let's, let's get this done. Let's um, put that feather in your cap of being like the bona fide team leader here. Um, you know, same thing, Kyrie, you want to show people away from LeBron, you're doing this too. Um, you know, I, I think I, I wonder what conversations delicately are being had behind closed doors, you know, in terms of amping this team up, looking out, um, you know, kind of long-term as those playoffs get closer and closer. I mean, it is a powerful thing to think everyone, the world is against you. And the Nets can justifiably feel like the world is against them. And er, when Jock first took over, he used that as the motivating factor. The Mm. first game that um, Kyrie was suspended, I think it was the Wizards game in DC where the Nets blew him out by about 35 or something. And all of them talking about after the fact about how, you know, that the, the, we came out knowing that like, let's just win the game. That makes things simpler if we go out and win basketball games. And so it's a, you know, it's a powerful ethic to build around whether you can maintain it from December to July or whenever June, you know, I don't know, but this team does have talent. And, you know, I had Sarah Kustak, who's the Nets uh, color analyst on the show but preseason and I was just like you know I just hope this team has like a month and a half where they can just build and there's not controversy we haven't even had that yet so true we I hope that this team has that six weeks of just the no controversy maybe lose some games win some games but just building building a foundation um because there is just there is a lot like like Yuta Wantanabe is going to come back and he he's been a revelation for this team great yeah. And TJ Warren just came back and TJ Warren in his first game scored 10 points and like, you know, and he hadn't played in 700 days. And, and so like, there's, there are all these pieces that you're like, okay, if these things all like we have KD at the top, you know, there's uh, Nick claxon has been playing better than ever before. Utah's again, a revelation and you have Joe, Seth, um, Ben Simmons, Patty Mills, who's not playing, but other teams would be playing. Markeith Morris, who whenever he plays has been a valuable little piece. Kyrie, it's like there's all these things there. If they all slot in correctly, it's a dangerous team. It's just going to take a lot of figuring out on the fly. Mike, truly appreciate the chat. Thanks for your insight, as always, on the Brooklyn Nets. Please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media, where they can find the Glue Guys podcast, any other projects you're working on as well. Thanks, thanks. Um, At BK Glue Guys on Twitter is what we go by. Uh, We're also on Discord. If you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, I don't know if you check out Discord. Discord's like a thousand times better than Twitter. Jump on our Discord. 
discord.gg slash glue guys. My, my co-host Brian is going to love that I did that. He's the real like father of that group. I only check in a little bit, but there's like a thousand Nets fans in there and they all yell at each other and it's fantastic. Um, and besides that, check out The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash glue guys. Get yourself behind the paywall. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't need to pump The Athletic, but we do a lot of great work. And, you know, if you're not becoming a subscriber, go find yourself one of those dollar a month deals. Yeah. Get behind the paywall. It's so cheap. It's the best, you know, it's the best uh, sports journalism in the world. So get behind that paywall. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.